Good morning, Valley family. Great to see everybody uh, here today. We're kicking off this brand new series uh, that we're calling Team Together Everyone Achieves More. Uh, That's actually an old coaching thing. When I was coaching high school football, uh, we had all kinds of different little buzzwords, phrases, and and things like that. But uh, also you may have heard if, if you played sports maybe back in the day or are actually play sports today, you know, there's no I in team. That's the whole thing. Together. It's it's about together everyone achieves more. Here's the thing that I think we're going to discover over the next few weeks in this series. It's going to take us right to Easter Sunday, quite literally, uh, is that so much of the Bible, in fact, almost all of the Bible is written to groups, not individuals. And so many times we, we read like a promise in the Bible and we're like, oh, I claim that. That's what I want. I, 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 I. But the fact is the Bible was written not to individuals but to groups. Take, for instance, just in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels that tell about the life of Jesus. Then the book of Acts. And, and then what? Romans, group. First and Second Corinthians, group, Galatians, group, Ephesians, group. It goes on and on and on, groups, 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 groups. And, and so many times when we come to the scripture, we read it as a me, 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 me. And we miss over half of the impact and the significance of what the Bible is actually talking about. Because it's not me, 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 me. It's we, 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 we. Together, everyone achieves more. The Christian life was never meant to be walked out solo on your own as an individual. It's about a group. And even as we start off this series uh, this week, I want to talk about fellowship. Because that's, a, that's a kind of a churchy word sometimes. It's a biblical word that we don't really understand. In fact, we have places in some churches called like the fellowship hall. You know, like this is a place where fellowship happens. What is fellowship? Because fellowship has everything to do with whether you're going to be successful on your Christian journey or not. Whether you and I are going to experience as individuals and as a church family everything that God has for us. So together, we're formed for fellowship. God created each of us as individuals to be we, not me to be in fellowship with one another. Now, next week, uh, I want to go ahead and invite you back. Next week, we're going to be talking about together we can experience breakthroughs. So, again, so many times in our life, we're looking for a personal breakthrough, and we don't realize that it only happens in a group. It only happens around others that we experience personal breakthrough. But that will be for next week, and I invite you back for that. Look at this starting out, and all my notes are on our website You can follow along. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what it says. God is the one who made all things and all things for his glory. He wanted to have many children share in his glory. The the, the whole motivation that God had for creating everything that we see is this. It's we, not me. It's not individual. It's plural all the time. In fact, let me put it this way. You're not in the family of God until you choose to be in the family of God. Just by being born a human being doesn't put you in the family of God. That we have to actually choose. And the Bible says, to all who received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We have to choose to be in the family of God. But he formed you 
and he formed me to be a part of his family. That's what he wants more than anything else. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself, how? Through Jesus Christ. Right there, just another instance in the scripture that just because someone is born a human being doesn't put them in the family of God. We hear that all the time. We're all God's children. There's only one problem with that, all the teachings of the Bible. All the teachings of the Bible contradict that. We become God's children, how? Through receiving Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to look at a lot of passages in this series because I think it's really important that we understand what the clear teachings of Scripture are. For today, we're formed for fellowship. 1 Timothy 3, I'm writing so you will know how to live in the family of God. The family is the church of the living God. Did you catch that? The family of God is not humanity. The family of God is the church of of the living God. We are the family. That's why so many times, uh, I, I like to put it this way, and, and, and we refer to our church this way, the valley family, because we're a family. And so the family is the church of the living God. It's not humanity. And we have to choose to be a part of the family of God. No one's going to force you to do it. No one's going to make you do it. But could I put it this way? Just like in your own family, your, your nuclear family, uh, your immediate family, there are certain uh, privileges and benefits to being in that family. The same goes for the family of God. The same goes for the family of God when we choose to be in the family of God. And one of the huge benefits of being in the family of God is this word fellowship that we're going to talk about that hopefully when we're done today, we'll really, really understand. Because one of the things I've seen as a pastor for over three decades is so many people miss out on so much God has for them because they don't understand what it means to be a part of the family of God. Church is a family that you're part of. It's a spiritual family. And have you ever thought about this? This spiritual family will outlast your immediate family. This family goes on for eternity. But, but every one of us knows, you know, well, at least we should. You know, Susie and I are empty nesters now. And what does that mean? Our children have grown up and they have left the nest. And they start their own nest. We, we now have two daughters that are married, two daughters that live in Virginia eight hours away. And, and so, yeah, we get together on occasions and Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that. But it's not the same. But the family of God goes on forever. People move out of the family. People, you know, communication begins to be a little bit harder. You don't see each other as much. But the family of God is for eternity, for all time. Our immediate family is temporary. In fact, for most, it's about 18, maybe 25 years, that immediate family. Mom, dad, kids, all together. It's a temporary relationship, the parent-child relationship. But the family of God is eternal, and it goes on forever and ever and ever. And the number one responsibility of being in the family of God, do you know what it is? The number one responsibility is that you have to learn how to love other people in the family. That's the number one thing, that we learn how to love people in the family of God. Jesus put it this way, John chapter 13 
uh, on the night that he was betrayed, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't say that the, the magnet on the back of your car or, or bringing your Bible to work or, or the cross around your neck, none of those things are going to prove to the world that you really are my followers. What is the thing that's going to prove to the world that you really are my followers, my disciples? The love that you show to the other, the other folks, the other disciples, the other people in my family. That makes us like him when we love those in the family of God. Not only does it make us like him, but also God likes it when his kids get along with each other. It's actually practicing for eternity. And so here's kind of the big idea in this message today. Life is a laboratory of learning how to love. That's what life is. Life is a laboratory for learning how to love. Because the reality is love does not come naturally and for, for many of us, maybe even most of us, unless we learn how to love in our immediate family growing up, where are you going to learn how to love people? Not gonna, not, our culture's not going to teach how to love people. Our, our, our culture's not going to teach us how, how to put someone else above ourselves. The place where we learn how to love is right here in the family of God. And that means sometimes loving people, it's really easy for me to love people that like me. It's really easy for me to love people that agree with all my opinions. But see, when you come into a church family, that's not the case. Like we often like to say here at Valley, there's only one rule here at Valley Church, and that's this, no perfect people are allowed. Do you know what that means? That means we've got to learn how to love each other. We have got to learn how to love each other. If you're looking for a perfect church, this is not the place. I can't even recommend one to you because there is no such thing. No perfect church exists. We have to learn how to love each other. Life is the laboratory. In other words, how we love each other in this life, how we show love, how we show preference to one another in this life prepares us for eternity with Jesus Christ because he knows how to love the right way. The Bible calls this word, oh, the Bible word for loving those in the family of God is that word fellowship. That's what that word means, fellowship. The, and let me put it this way, where, where Jesus said, when someone asked him one time trying to trip, trip him up, said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is the same, love your neighbor as yourself. What is loving God? What's the Bible word for loving God? Worship. That's how we love God, through our worship. We love God through our worship. And that's a lifestyle. It's not just singing of songs. It's greater than that, that, that it's our life that we live. We love God through our worship. How do we love others? It's through fellowship. The Bible word for loving God is worship. The Bible word for loving others is fellowship. You were formed for fellowship. I was formed for fellowship, not just for one hour on a Sunday morning. We will never experience the best that God has for us if all we have together is one hour on Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way with the early church. It's never worked that way for thousands and thousands of years. It's this word fellowship that's so incredibly important. 
And what I want for you as your pastor, what I want for myself, and what I want for you is I want you to experience everything God has for you. Not to leave anything behind, but to experience the very, very best that God has for you. So this isn't something that I want from you. This is something that I want for you. You were formed for fellowship in God's family. There's a lot of F's in there and you can kind of get tongue-tied, uh, to say the least. But this is the Bible word fellowship. Fellowship, let me put it this way. Do you know what God hates? Do you know what God hates? Loneliness. God hates loneliness. In fact, when you think about it, in, in Genesis, when he created everything that we see, he created man, and what, every single time he created something, each day he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Until he created man, he goes, it's not good for what? Man to be alone. God hates loneliness. And you know what his answer is to loneliness? Fellowship. The Bible word, fellowship. That's God's answer. And so I want to share with you today four different levels of fellowship. Four different ways that you and I can learn how to actually love each other. And by doing this, by really loving one another, did you know there's only 56 passages in the New Testament that are one another verses? 56 instructions in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another, all those things. There's no way we can be a real follower of Christ on our own because we're not loving one another. We have to consistently find time and prioritize to love one another. So four levels of fellowship, how we can learn to love one another. Here's the first level. The first level is sharing. The first level of fellowship is sharing. Let's look back at the history of the Christian church. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. How did it start? What did they prioritize? Look what it says. All the believers met together once a week or sometimes on Christmas and Easter. It's not what it says, is it? All the believers met together constantly. Constantly. Not hit or miss. Not every now and then. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other. Here's the thing. Fellowship takes time together with each other. Let me, let me just try to help you here. If, if, if right now, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but right now, if your friendships, if you feel lonely that you don't have friendships, that, that your friendships are, are kind of dwindling away or drifting away, that you don't have a lot of strong friendships around you, guess what? What that means is you need to spend more time with people. You've got to spend more time with people. Fellowship, friendship, they met together constantly, not sporadically, not occasionally, constantly they met together. So many times I've, heard, I've read so many books of theologians and scholars, what made the early church powerful? This is one of the power keys of the early church. They met together constantly. They surrounded themselves with people that had like faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord constantly. And they shared. They shared everything with each other. That, that means they, they shared their lives with each other. Sometimes I hear in churches, it's kind of funny, I don't like to use the phrase, uh, but they say, we do life together. You know, we're doing life together. 
it kind of sounds like you're in prison. I, I don't know, like, I'm not sure I want to do life. You know, I want to share life, but I'm not sure I want to do life, you know, with others. But sharing life. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When, 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 when we're sharing our lives, I'm talking about, just, just identify right now. Who are, who are the five or six people that you're sharing your life with constantly that can encourage you to be more like Jesus? See, that's fellowship. That's fellowship. When, when we share, watch this now, when we share our burden with someone else that, that is a follower of Christ, guess what? That burden gets cut in half. If we don't share our burdens with someone else, guess what? We're carrying that load that we were never meant to carry. But it's our choice. Because no one's going to force you to fellowship. It's our choice. A common misconception, people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> he does it all the time. He will, he, will, he will just jack you up with stuff you can't handle. Why? Because he wants to move you to fellowship. He wants to move you to share your burden with other people because you're not meant to carry those burdens. When you share your burden with someone else, it cuts that burden in half. When you share your victory with someone else, guess what? It multiplies it times 10. It multiplies it times 10. That's why we, we have to share. That's why our groups, that's why we have valley groups. Not because we're trying to fill our calendar. We have valley groups. Why? Because we want people to experience fellowship. Do you know right now, uh, right now at this moment, this semester, 55% of all the adults in Valley Church are involved in small groups. 55%. That's absolutely amazing. Absolutely fantastic. And that's from sixth grade up. From sixth grade up, sixth graders all the way up, 55% prioritizing fellowship. Prioritizing, I'm going to share my life with other people. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to get stronger. You're going to get stronger because you're sharing your life. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Is meeting with other Christians your habit? Is it a habit? It says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, here it is, let us encourage one another. Let us encourage. We're supposed to have, could I put it this way? We talked about holiness last week. A holy habit of gathering with other believers, of meeting with each other on a regular basis, and what happens as a result of that? We share our experiences and we're encouraged. We're encouraged. It's so easy when, when we get discouraged, when we, any one of us gets discouraged, myself included, and you begin to isolate, guess what? You get worse and worse discouraged. Isolation doesn't encourage you. It makes you worse. I, did, did, did we, didn't we learn that during covid didn't we learn that during the shutdown when we couldn't see, we couldn't talk, we just had to stare at a screen, and we realized it's not the same. It's not the same as someone looking you, in, as, as someone, you know, patting you on the back, as someone shaking your hand, as, as someone giving you the bro hug, you know, like that. Do the bros do that? Ladies are like, I don't know what that is. Don't worry, you're not bro. So anyway, <laughs> listen, it's so very important that we share this first level, and let me put it this way, sharing our lives with each other, this is the kiddie pool. This is, this is the shallow end of fellowship, sharing our lives. This is just splashing around in the kiddie pool. That, that God has so much more than even this. 
This is just like the basic, fundamental kiddie pull of Christianity. Sharing our lives with one another, that it's a habit that we regularly do constantly. Look at what 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says. When you gather, each one of you should be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a song, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. Take your turn with no one person taking over. That way, you all learn from each other. Now, that didn't happen on a Sunday morning. It didn't happen when the church gathered in large groups like this. In the early church, where did it happen? It happened in homes during the week. When they met together constantly in small groups. That's where everybody can do a little bit of something together. And that's called fellowship. And, and again, if, if you don't have this on your calendar on a regular basis, prioritize, you're only living half the Christian life. You're, you're missing out on half of what God has for you and half of what he has for me. We can worship God on our own, but you cannot love one another without making it a priority. A consistent holy habit. And this is, again, level one. And then what happens is this, we share support for one another. When we're sharing our life, fellowship with one another, we can share support for one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You know, I, I've seen this again, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking, but I've seen through the years people that don't prioritize God's family and then a major crisis hits them, and guess what? They don't have a support system. Because there were all these other things that were more important than prioritizing, cultivating, caring relationships constantly with other Christians. And it's not because it wasn't available. It's because they opted out. And there's no support as a result. And it makes the crisis even worse because they're on their own. They never even got into the shallow end. A fellowship. Here's the second level of fellowship, belonging. Belonging. The fellowship of belonging. Where do you belong in the body of Christ? In the family of God. God's created every single one of us to know where we belong in his family. See, love is a commitment. This idea of belonging, like this is my spiritual family. This is the difference between Commitment is, is the difference in everything. It's the difference between dating and marriage. Commitment. It's the difference between being an attender and being a member. Commitment. It's the difference between being a spectator and a participator. Commitment. The fellowship of belonging. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 puts it this way. You are members of God's very own family and you belong in where? God's household with every other Christian. I, I, sometimes I meet Christians like, uh, I get to talking, I'm like, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, I'm not part of a church. You know, I don't, I don't really do that. I'm just a Christian. You know, I kind of go over here. The pastors call them cafeteria Christians. You just take a little sample here at the Presbyterian Church, a little sample here at the Baptist Church, a little sample here at Valley Church, you know, at cafeteria Christianity. It's almost like someone saying this, I want to play in the NFL. I want to play in the NFL, but I refuse to be a part of a team. It makes no sense, does it? I, I, I want to play in the NFL, but I will not play on a team with anyone else. If, if, if that doesn't make sense for football or any type of team sport, 
Why would it make sense with the greatest team there ever has been assembled? The body of Christ. Who's your team? Just because you attend Valley doesn't mean you're part of the team. You have to choose to be a part of the team. You have to choose to say, I'm committed here. I'm all in here. And with a greater commitment, just like the difference between dating and marriage, the greater commitment, what? The greater the blessing. The more casual, hey, what's going on, babe? <laughs> Not a lot of blessing with that. Just, just dating, just, just sampling, just, just seeing what's out there. Not a lot of blessing. The greater the commitment, the greater the blessing. And so, the fellowship of belonging. First John chapter 4, verse 21 says, The person who loves God must also love other believers. Where's that happening in your life on a regular basis? Just, 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 just take any, any five days in your life, six days, a week in your life. Where is it? This is where I'm loving other believers. This is where it happens. That's a real honest question, real important one that we ask ourselves. The person who loves God must love other believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, love your spiritual family. Love your spiritual family. It's part of fellowship. How do you become not just an attender, but a, a member or a partner of Valley Church? It's not by just coming on Sundays, not even joining a group. It's through what we call growth track. Growth track is where uh, every single Sunday happening, 9 o'clock, right upstairs, every single Sunday, that, that we get the behind the scenes of what it means to be a part of this family of God, this expression of the Christian faith. And, and not only does it show you what it, what it means and, and, and how do you can be committed and how we're committed to those that are part of our family. You, you know, one of the things that, uh, the analogy that's all throughout Scripture is a pastor is supposed to be a shepherd. Every shepherd knows who his sheep are and marks his sheep. That's how we mark the sheep, right up there in, gro in growth track. Because there's, there's sometimes, I, I get phone calls, hi, uh, I've been attending twice, and I really, really love the church, and I need the church to do this for me. Uh, I don't see that V. And, and it doesn't mean we're not going to care. It doesn't mean we're going to, but we have to prioritize because we only get like, I, I don't know how many contacts each and every week. People, I need this. Can you do this? Can you do this? All these, you have to prioritize those that are committed to the family instead of those that are, well, you know, I, I was here back in, you know, in September once, and now can you, can you do this? Can you go visit my, my aunt, you know, Gertrude in the hospital? Because I, I walked through the door one time. We're going to try to do that if we can, but we're not, we're not obligated to do that because I don't know who those people are. I don't know who that person is. So important that we understand. This is how it happens. Connect with the Valley family. This is the, the way that we become we don't even call them members, we call them partners because we're partnering together. Next week as we talk about experiencing breakthrough, we're going to talk about like five like strategic huge projects we're working on right now as a church family. Game changers. One of them, we're, we're partnering already with 10 other churches in the Hudson Valley, make a huge impact this summer. And, and what does that mean? We have to be partner. We have to know who's on the team, who's a part of the team. So growth track is where that happens. Here's the third level of fellowship, the fellowship of serving. Now, now we're going from the kiddie pool, from sharing, 
that then we're going uh, a little bit deeper into belonging, the fellowship of belonging. Now we're going even deeper, the fellowship of serving. What does that mean? That means partnering with others for a common purpose. You know, there's something about when you're shoulder to shoulder with someone else and you have a common purpose, there's something about a bond that forms there. A lot of you that, that have played sports through the years, you can understand this. Uh, that I, I have my friends that I played football with at John Jay. They come to town. They're visiting their family and all. They're like, hey, Greg, can we go out? Let's, let's get something to eat. And, and we go out and we talk about the old times. That was only 35 years ago. But we, we, we went through something together, shoulder to shoulder, we experienced something. We experienced victory. We experienced heartache. And you know what? There's a bond that lasts for decades as a result of that. Serving together. It's powerful. One of the most important things, our dream teams. We have our dream team day that's coming up uh, next Saturday. Let's go ahead and put that up. You have dream team day. That's where you can join one of our serve teams here at Valley. And, and, and use, and that's what growth track helps you to identify where really one of your great gifts are and skills are and where it fits into the, the family here, into the team. Because you know what? As a coach, I want to put team players in positions where they're going to be successful, not where they're going to be frustrated. You know, when I was a coach, I could, I could look at a 10-year-old. He'd pick up a football, and he'd say, I want to be a quarterback. We, we used to coach the little kids as well. I could see how he'd pick up a football and just toss it one time like, Yeah. You got it. I could also look at a guy, pick up a football, and like, uh, you're an offensive lineman, son. I'm sorry. Just like, it's just, it's never going to, am I right, coach? Yep, right there. <laughs> totally understand that. Because you want to put people in places where they're going to succeed. That's what our dream team is all about. And, and not only you come out uh, this Saturday, join a dream team if you haven't. All our dream teamers, we're inviting to come out for some additional training. And uh, it's not that bad. Even if you come out, you're going to get a free T-shirt, Valley T-shirt, which is pretty cool, uh, you know, uh, but you got to be here to get one of those. So the fellowship of serving. L- let me put it this way. One of the things that I've cherished most in my life is serving side by side with my wife, Susie. Anything ever happens to her, I'm done. Because there is so much. We, we work together. We work side by side together. And, and, and we, we got married to be together, not to be apart. We have this reputation. You're not aware of it, but we have this reputation outside this church. We go to conferences and we're part of different networks and all, and people say this all the time. We never see the two of you apart from one another. And you know what my answer is? That's why we got married. We didn't get married to be apart from you. We got married to be together as much as we possibly could. And, and, and the greatest joy of my life is serving side by side with this woman that God's given to me. And she's a powerhouse. See, see, there's something serving together draws you closer to one another. And, and we have husbands and wives that serve, maybe not even on the same team, but they're, they're come, and they're serving in different places. And you know what? It just does, there's, some, there's a reward you don't get on your own in isolation. But there's something about serving together. It, it's a deeper end of fellowship. 
It's a deeper end of relationship. This Bible word for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. That's how it's it's, uh, pronounced in Greek, koinonia. And what it literally means is partnership. Anyone, any of your entrepreneurs out there, you know you got a business partner. Guess what? You talk to them a lot, don't you? You stay close contact with them. You you, you don't want uh, days, weeks, months to go by without talking to your partner. That's the biblical word for fellowship, koinonia, this partnership. We're in this together. I'm not alone. This is who's beside me. This is who I'm serving. This is our common task. We're in this together. That's the Bible word for fellowship. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We are partners working together for God. That word partner right there is that word fellowship, koinonia. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two people are better than one because they get more done, how? By working together. Together, everyone achieves more. That's what a team is. Together, everyone achieves more. See, Valley Church is great. This is a great church. It's not a perfect church, but this is a great church. And you know why this church is a great church? Because this church family is full of team players. Full of team players that aren't concerned about who gets the glory, but instead wants God to get the glory for everything we do. I love you, Valley family. There's no other team I'd rather be a coach for than the Valley family. Together, everyone achieves more. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, The whole body fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Do you know you've got a special work in the body of Christ that no one else can do, and the rest of the body of Christ is counting on you? That's what it says. As each part does its own special work, it helps others grow. Do you know that holding out from fellowship is keeping back the growth of other people that need you? Do do you know just just forfeiting fellowship? Just just saying, I don't need that. I'm going to do it on my own. Do you know what? It stunts the growth of other people that need what you have. So sometimes it's not about receiving. Sometimes it's, it's about giving. My dad used to put it this way. You know, you say that, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't have that much to give. Every one of us has something to give. My dad used to put it this way. In the valley of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Think about that. If, every, if everyone's blind and all you got is one eye, guess what? You're the king of it all. Every one of us got life experiences. Every one of us have got things that we've learned. Every one of us have got difficulties that we've gone through, and we've gotten to the other side that can help other people. Together. Everyone achieves more. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing. And here it is again. How do we know? When it's full of love. That's how we know when a church is healthy. When it's full of love. It's so important. Helping each other to grow. And as I said, we already talked about our our Dream Team Day coming up. See, here's the thing. God didn't bring you here to sit, to soak, and to sour. That's not why churches exist, for people to come in just to sit, to soak, and to sour. God brought you into his family to serve, to serve, to make a greater impact than you ever could on your own. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 puts it this way. When we have the opportunity to help anyone, 
we should do it. But we should give special attention to those in our family of believers. The first priority is just like, uh, you know, when, when any kind of crisis, hurricane, tornado, you know, earthquake, anything like that, what do you do first? You first look for your family. Before you run out and help the neighbor, what do you do first? You first look for your family. And that's the teachings of Scripture, that, that when it's a time to serve, when anyone has need, where do you look first? You first look in your spiritual family, how can I help? How, how can I help? What's going on? How can I help those in my spiritual family? And then we look outside. And we do both of those things at Valley Church. And as I said, huge outreaches in Guatemala and into the Hudson Valley and all these things that are coming up right on the radar in the next few months. We, we should be making an impact out there. But first, we've got to take care of those in here. That's the first priority, to help those in the Valley family, just like the, the Scripture teaches us there in Galatians. And so this is another form of fellowship, the fourth level. Now, I'm sorry, the third level. You ready for the fourth level? This, 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 is, this is grad school fellowship. You ready for this? The fellowship of suffering. The fellowship of suffering. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Share each other's troubles and problems. In this way, you obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the law of Christ. Sharing each other's troubles. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We all suffer together. Because here's the thing, it's real easy. Life is hard, but life is not hard all the time. And, and, and it's real easy if you've had a pretty good run, a pretty good string of some good days, it's real easy to get hard-hearted and cynical about others. But if we're sharing in their troubles, if we're sharing in their pain and their hurt, you know what happens? We don't get hard-hearted. What happens? We become compassionate that our heart breaks with those whose heart breaks. That, that when we see someone in our spiritual family that's not prospering, that, that is not just living that abundant life, but instead going through a real struggle, we can say, you're not alone. I'll walk with you through it. You're not by yourself. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 be devoted to one, be devoted to each other like a loving family. That's what God's looking for from you. That's what God's looking for from me. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Life is all about learning to love. To love God through worship and to love others through prioritizing fellowship and relationships. Last verse I want to look at. A lot of people know what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Not many people know what 1 John 3.16 says. It's a different book. It's a different passage in the New Testament. Look at what 1 John 3.16 says. We know what love, real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. 
John 3.16 is all about how God loves us and wants us to love him back. 1 John 3.16 is all about how God wants us to love the family of God, where we're committed to, where he's placed us. And so together, everyone achieves more. I want to close in prayer right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for making us for your family. Father, forgive us for not prioritizing your family and serving and being in fellowship with your family. God, for many of us, we didn't know, and so we know now. For some of us, we knew, and we just didn't do. And so, God, we want to be different moving forward. God, we just pray right now, Lord, that your word, these, these passages that we've looked at, so many that are addressed to the group, not to the individual. Lord, we don't want to leave anything on the shelf. But God, we want to experience everything that you have for us because we know by your Holy Spirit, together, everyone achieves more. We were formed for fellowship. And we thank you for that, God. And may we prioritize your family today, tomorrow, and in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now is our custom. Let me bless you with one of the blessings that's recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. If you'd like to receive this blessing, I just invite you to open your hands like you're receiving a gift from God because these words that God gave truly are a gift that I'm honored to speak over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace. God bless you, Valley family. Have a great week.